ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to face2facegames.com. Hey everybody, Brian David Marshall here with Zvi Moshowitz, the Hall of Famer. Uh, another episode of Top 8 Magic. I know it's been a little bit of a, a little bit of a while since we have uh, gotten together to talk to you, but here we are. Zvi, you are freshly back from Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, the Players Tour. So you, the, you, the first one. So well, yeah, first, first North American one, right? We first had, North American. We I, had I, players I, Tour I, I think them all as one right sure. together as, as the European and the Asian and the American version of Players Tour one, right? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I wanted to make sure I attended the first one because it's part of history and you want to know, like, what's the new structure like? How does it feel? Is it more of a pro tour? Is it more of a Grand Prix? Is it somewhere in the middle? Uh, does it feel like you're, you're this is pushing you to, to try harder? Did it feel like it's telling you, no, this is just like a GP with slightly better prices. You shouldn't worry about it. You know, how, what level of competition is there? Do other players push themselves hard? Do other players take it seriously? There's a wide error bars for what the answers to these questions would be. I wanted to see it in person and also like network a bit, talk about, you know, the stuff that I'm doing, try to get the people on board and have a good time. And, and I succeeded at all of these fronts. <laughs> so, okay. So the format was Pioneer. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a weird spot for players playing in Phoenix because while Pioneer is presented as this sort of somewhat new unexplored format with these new cards being added from Theros Beyond Death, you, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you want to view things, had two results from similar size events last weekend in Brussels and Nagoya. I, I posted about this that I was incredibly frustrated because as somebody who had never played Pioneer before, because I was like, oh, well, let, let people settle, let people figure stuff out. I'm on Arena. I'm playing Standard. At some point, I have to focus on this for a bit. But the future is, you know, let's worry about the future in the future. And then, well, you have to invest in the other these cards to play this new format on this new client, you know, separately. And then you have to buy the physical cards. And then we're going to just blow everything out of the water because a week before you play, four days before your deck list is due, with cards that might not be that easy to get on short notice if they're suddenly really popular because everybody wants the same cards at the same time, we're going to surprise you where, you know, two out of the three places where the best players in the world have congregated are going before you do. So I, I asked specifically in Richmond, and it was my number one request. I said, what do you want from the future of the players tour? And I said, well, there are big things I want, but in terms of small things I want that I think you can do, I want the deck deadlines to be the same. So, so that would mean that the deck list for Phoenix would have to get locked in not this past Wednesday, but the, but the previous Wednesday before Nagoya or Brussels. Correct. And then you would have over a week to like see what, see what was out there, see what other players had come up with, you know, secure your cards if you needed to do that, but you wouldn't be able to respond to the tournament. You would be stuck with whatever you had submitted. I was going to say, to me, to me, the feel bad of knowing, <laughs> you know, you, you look at the field and you're like, oh, these... This handful of people who figured out, you know, Lotus Breach at, you know, Brussels or Nagoya, they clearly had the right answer. And not only am I not playing what I know is the best deck now, 
but I don't have the opportunity to put a damping sphere in my neck or, uh, you know, whatever blood moon variant that they've It's a thing. Play. You do have time to play test to find out what to do about it given what you have. I always find that really interesting, right? The whole period before the top eight where suddenly here's my 75, here's their 75. Let's figure out the new thing you haven't even thought about. You know, do you build in things in your deck list even so that you can figure out during the tournament you have a different strategy? So often, including my one win, you look at the list, you realize you should be doing something you haven't even considered in playtesting. Right. And it's there, and you find it, and suddenly it's great. Or your, your opponent sees a possibility that you didn't think of and has to plan for it because they don't know that that's not what you're planning to do. And it encourages you to stay flexible. But in this case, I, I, did, I did think that was a cost. Absolutely. Uh, but I really liked that you could work with people in other zones without worrying about, like, well, do you play it in Europe? And then I don't... Everyone sees it before I play and break up teams. You also just force people to be like, well, do you even want to start practicing that seriously until the last few days? And then you really disrupt somebody's schedule because back in the day, you could choose your spots as to when to work on a, a format because things didn't just change every few days. And Pioneer was already changing every few days, and now it's going to be even worse. But you're going to have sort of, they talk about political time of like, you know, a debate is worth five days or whatever. And then you have like, you know, magic format time where like a Pro Tour is worth two weeks or three weeks or something, something huge. So you just got all this stuff packed into the last few days. So it was like, well, well, how can I even begin to justify anything before that? And then after that, you know, I'm about to be away from my family for a few days. Do I really want to spend that time not interacting with them? About to be away from my job? Do I spend my time not working on my job? I have to prepare for draft and a narrow window and, and just not very long. And you force people into these schedules that they have no control over. And then for someone who has a lot of responsibilities, it becomes very hard. And so I basically reached the conclusion for this tournament based on my lack of previous experience with such interest in playing Pioneer yet. Uh, the fact that I didn't particularly want to go to the logistical effort and cost of acquiring cards for various different things on Magic Online when I hadn't been playing on Magic Online for a while because of Arena and breaks from the game and just generally the situation and I decided to just give no forks. <laughs> so I was like, well, I, I don't, you know, in honor of our recently departed show, The Good Place. Yeah. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to give no forks about this particular tournament. I'm not going to not prepare at all. I'm going to watch the Ham TV, you know, we want our Ham TV. Yeah. And, and I'm going to do drafts and I'm going to, you know, get ready for that somewhat. But I'm not going to try and do the same level of prep I did for, say, Richmond on that front. And on Constructed, I'm not going to do that much original effort as much as I'm going to take advantage of the fact that Sam Black has no secrecy requirements. Right. And I'm going to ask him what he thinks I should play based on his intricate knowledge of my skills and preferences. And then we can talk about it and play, you know, I can play a little bit and we can figure it out. And that led me to the most fun deck in the entire tournament, as far as I can tell. Monobu Devotion. Yeah, we, so we saw you on camera in round four. Uh, you could go back, it was, it was the time walk match in round four. You can find that if that's something you want, you want to see. And the, the deck looked super sweet, right? And, and I, I, so, so, so talk about the deck a little bit. Yeah, I mean, what, multiple, what yeah, multiple opponents commented that I seem to be having so much more fun than everyone else at the tournament, and they were right. Uh, so the basic idea of the deck is Gadwick has three blue pips, and turns every blue pip into a card when you play him, right? And then if you have Gadwick, then 
All your spells tap down your opponent's cards. If you have Gadwick and Leyland Anticipation, you can cast all of those spells. Like you cast Omen of the Sea on their turn, you cast Witching Well on their turn. These become tap downs. So you have all these effects. And then you have, you know, both Thassas are very interesting. And you have, of course, Nykthos, Shrine of Nyx, which is how the blue pips on Gadwick, blue pips turn into a card because you tap. But you have a ton of Scry, including Thassas Oracle, which again turns every pip into a Scry. So the idea is you can find Nykthos very reliably. You will, by turn four or five, almost always have Nykthos if they don't actually stop you from having Nykthos or kill you or something. And if you always have Nykthos, then, like, if you have a Leyline in your opening hand, that's just great. It's already great. It's funny, if, if Leyline Anticipation didn't provide pips, I wouldn't run it because it's so bad if you draw it later. Right. But I would still happily welcome it in my opening hand because the actual instant speed effect is really, really powerful. It's so much better, obviously, if it has the two pips. Uh, my favorite play with this deck will always be turn three, Thassa block. <laughs> because when you get the pips, you also get the ability to cast Thassa at instant speed. So all you have to do is like play turn one, Witching Well, turn two, Omen of the Sea, turn three, Thassa block. And the game is over, right? Like you just, you might as well just give up. You got a five, five indestructible, unblockable if you want, all your other creatures are unblockable. And now I'm going to play my Nykthos and have like seven mana. Right. And at which point you play a Gadwick or you do something. Doesn't even matter already. Right. Right. You've already lost your big creature for nothing. Right. You know, it doesn't get better from here. And like, you, get, you get to see on camera, you get to see me do that with Thoughts of Six. Six, five. Like, so, yeah. like, yeah, just big enough to cast an Uro. Yeah, cast an yeah, Uro you, now ate, thing. you ate a Uro. In I ate an Uro for lunch. Yeah, yeah. That was very satisfying. Yeah. You, 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 did, uh, you did have a little bit of a, a heartbreaker. Uh, Fibblethip betrayed you. Oh gosh, yes. So I we're playing a game, and uh, I have a choice to make on turn three. I have a world. How many, how many Fibblethips are in the deck? Two. Two. Yeah. Uh, originally, we had we, we went, original version had one. We added white, and it went up to three. I cut it back down to two. Uh, the reason why we added more is because of Engulf the Shores, our sideboard strategy. So then you're drawing a card every time you do the the back and forth, uh, and also Thassa Four it just draws you a card every turn. You just bounce it, so it's an additional backup oh, nice. for, for the Oracle, yeah. and it's just another turn two play. That develops your board, draws you cards, gets you pips. But you only play for Omen of the Sea. You kind of want more. <laughs> and Fibble Fib is kind of a bad Omen of the Sea. And it's also a chunk blocker. It's quite right. useful. So I have a Fibble Fib in play. I can't use it to block. I need the pip. Right? So it's still there. Uh, and then I've chosen to let Jacob get his board development in order to get my board development and get a bunch of mana. But I've been having trouble finding the good action. And then I finally... I scry and on his turn, and I find Master of Waves and Mass Manipulation as my top two cards. So, so I've got you know, like ten at least eight mana, so I'm in like down to pips, and I'm like, okay. So I untap, I take his two big creatures. Okay. And I take his Jace. I think it was like I take his Jace. That I can rec- so that next turn I can take the rest of his board by recursing the mass manipulation. I take his big eyes. I jump block with the thimble. This is amazing. And then I, the next turn I drop Master of Waves or I take the rest of his team, right? Or both maybe. I don't know yet. And then he just goes on his turn after having attacked. Fatal push or triple step. <laughs> Shuffle it back in your deck. Oh, no. Your scry is gone. No. It was not great, Bob. It was terrible. It was a disaster. I mean, I know he's so cute, and yet it just betrays you. Suddenly, all was lost. I would say you totally lost. I totally, I was totally lost. 
It, it was really bad. And, and that was the first match. I lost to a bunch of pack rats. I lost the Heartbreaker pack rat where you've got it all planned out where they can't possibly win unless they have a second pack rat on turn five to double pack rat you and they have it. <laughs> and he has it. Yeah. Uh, you know, because like you've got the sequencing. Oh, yeah, I have a Thassa to block. So like it's hard to develop his board for right. a while. Right. And then, like, you know, just I'm going to get my Gadwick, and then I'm going to start deploying a billion things, and then I'm going to, like, use Thassa to get it unblockable, and I'm going to finish it before he can win. And then, no, just the second pack rat comes up, and I'm just going to have to run behind. That's how I right. missed out on day two. And then I lost an inverter deck, like, just straight up, like, the way you lose. Yeah. Those are my three losses of the deck. But, it, it, look, it's not. So, 2 what? 2 1 unlimited. 2 3 and constructed. It's not the best deck in the format, let's be honest, right? Like, well, that was my question. I was like, you know, given given your given your druthers, like uh, you know, like if you have enough time to prepare, even knowing what you know, like you don't get to separate, you know, you don't get to bunch up the deck deadlines. But yeah, you know, with two weeks to work, like what do you think? You well, I, I think if you turn Mystic Sanctuary into Ipni Rivulet, you can't play both, obviously. Yeah. Like, but Sanctuary, it looks really weird if you look at the list, right? I've got two Mystic Sanctuaries and two spells, right? That you really don't need to cast twice. Because if you cast one mass manipulation, you usually are okay. Yeah, yeah. But the reason it's there is because if you engulf the shore in the sideboard, okay. you do want to cast twice sure. often, and that's important. But that was one of those sandblack things where he's been putting the Six Sanctuary in every deck, yes. basically no matter what, just because he's great with that kind of trick and he just loves the, the effect. And I'm much more of a, like, my land's coming to play on tap kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you swap this for Rivulets, right, or an island and a Rivulet, depending on how many you need, like, I... I think I win one of my matches that I would have lost. I also potentially lose one of the matches I would have won against Spirits uh, because I can't recur because I don't quite have enough islands, as it turns out. So it's unclear, but that helps a lot. And then make some other tuning decisions. Maybe you go back to white to get rest in peace against the things that are out there right now. And then you get Re Reflector Mage and then your Spirits matchup, which is the one that I would have lost instead of winning, becomes much easier for yeah. obvious reasons. I really love Thassa 4. Not having a second Thassa 4 in the build was a mistake. Uh, like you just want to, I think you want to lean into that. I think you maybe even want to sideboard in additional Thassas. Like there are a lot of matchups where you are, like you're a Thassa deck. Because if you look at the decks people were playing, they don't really have answers to a god. You have an indestructible creature that's doing cool things for you. They just don't have an answer right. to an indestructible creature. They just have to like just go through it or be better than it. Right. And when they're not com the decks that aren't combling off on you, like if you look at the Delirium deck, right? What do they do about a Thassa 4? How does it beat that? Yeah. Get a tracker to seven to six to eight seven? Like so you can block? And I tap it with Thassa? Like, what are you gonna do? They none of the removal spells do anything. Right. And then like against red, like you have these blockers that not only block perfectly, maybe come down into speed, if they try to threaten them, they don't they stop being creatures. And they can't kill you, which is really convenient. So they're just, they're really, they've been really great for me. Thassa 3 is the best card against aggro because it's just so efficient. And, and the secret is that you have the Leyline of saying, uh, if it disappears. Yeah, if you have Leyline, then. That let you just turn. Yeah, ambushing, ambushing your best attacker on turn 3 is a beauty. But I mean, that also lets you get to 5 on turn 3. It's hard yes. to get to 5 pips. It's, on it's impossible three. otherwise. You, have yeah, three, yeah. You, have, you can have 3 other pips, and Thassa's only the 4th. So right. you can get to 5, but you can't use it yet. Right, right. Right. So I think those changes would help a lot. Potentially we want land 24. There's a bunch of tuning you can do. Um, and yeah, Look, there yeah. was a deck in this tournament that to me reminded me very specifically of a Zvi deck. 
Reminded me of a deck you played in Secaucus. It, it felt like the Fluctuator deck. To some degree. But that deck was ridiculous. Yes, and I'm saying that the Lotus Breach deck had a similar feel to me of like, oh my god, this deck gets to look at every card, not only in its main deck, but multiple times from its sideboards. Right, so, so game... So about, about round two, I was watching Sam Pardee play playtest games with the deck. Yeah. And trying to read the cards in it to remind myself exactly what they did and try to figure out what was going on. And the frustrating part was they would never actually look at their sideboards. They wouldn't even say out loud. They would just reveal the hand and the other guy would scoop up his cards so at the end of the game. So my Fae of Wishes, my Hidden Strings, and my Underworld Breach, and then they would just scoop. Not even, right? You'd just be like, here's my two Fae of Wishes and my Hidden Strings <laughs> with the two Lotus Movement. And I don't know why. I don't know how this ends. I, I believe him that it ends. But how does it end? I, I don't know. And just stuff like that would continuously happen. And I'd be trying to figure out more and more, like, okay, so what exactly is going on here? And then during the, by the time the Grand Prix was halfway done, I was just like, God, these people are so bad at playing this deck. I could do so much better. I know exactly what's supposed to yeah, You forgot. You do this and this and this and this. And this and you can't lose, right? Because, yeah, it's exactly my kind of thing. But you still need that day. Right? That two days. You have to know about it. You have to have the good list. You have to physically grow out of the cards, and then you have to be ready. And then you have to play a lot of really stressful, really tight and precise right. matches where if you screw up, you just lose. And, and it was really clear from watching Huey Jensen play the deck, who, I mean, it was like a master class all weekend. Uh, but it was really clear that you needed, you know, it's not just enough to have had the deck, right? Like, you need to understand how people are going to react to the deck, sideboard against the deck, and what you're going to do to get through that sideboard hate. And what exactly are you facing, right? Like, how, what turn is each of these decks going to threaten to win? Under what circumstances? What, def, what, def, what can break it up? Yeah. How do you sideboard this thing? It's so frustrating. But the commentators in the top eight were constantly saying, I don't know what Huey takes out. <laughs> like, maybe he takes out three, maybe he takes out some Arboreal Bridges, but there's one in play. What the hell did he take out? Yeah. And it turned out, he, yeah, he had boarded out the other three in that case. But. His, his quarterfinal against uh, Austin Bersovich. Mwah! That is, Mwah! That is exactly the quote I was going <laughs> to submit for the cover of that yes. book. Damn it! Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just the right thing to say, right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was beautiful. I mean, he's playing against Blue-White. Obviously, Blue-White Control has a bunch of cards that they're just choked on in game one against you. Yeah, it was, it was definitely not that deck's finest hour. In any way, right? Like just seeing it, the like three supreme. And it was weird, just like watching it play game after map, turn after turn after turn, and just you look at this, guy, this this hand, and it's like, well, I hope you're not playing anything that, that isn't creatures because there, I have nothing. There was an interesting moment, I think, where it's possible. I think Bursevich may have like made a slight sequencing error where he could have tipped up his Teferi uh, before combat, like he like went into combat without ticking up his Teferi. And as a result, it gave um, Huey a chance to pick up his uh, fame wishes. And then I think maybe he could have instant speeded oh, okay. the Supreme Verdict. You know? Right. I, very but, possible. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. But like, but like it was such like a narrow... Yeah. He can respond to the yeah, activation I mean, or something. Like, Otherwise, yeah. it's... I forget the exact situation. Yeah. It just, it just looks, white blue looks so bad. And it made you wonder, like, do you ever win game one against Breach? Do you ever win game one against Inverter? For the same reason. Right? Like, don't you just face a deck that 
you know, has these four fatal pushes that don't do anything and otherwise is just your worst nightmare. Right. And they make you discard your Narsets into fairies on turn one and two, so you don't actually get to play them. And then they just bury you in card advantage while you draw dead cards, and then they go off, and then you lose, right? It's not the worst part of that deck for you, Zvi. Yeah? It's not the worst part of that deck for you. Did you look at his list? I mean, yes. <laughs> I saw it in play. Yes. Before I saw the list, I saw it in play. <laughs> Elspeth, Sons, Nemesis. I am Sun. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Nemesis! <laughs> has now has a, a player's tour top eight. Uh, technically, but I mean, come on. <laughs> we won't go over the details of how that exactly happened on so many levels, but does it really count? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I saw Mike in a pie shop, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it was on his face. <laughs> Funny story about Mike. So he's on my flight, which neither of us planned. Yeah. And he, so, like, I, I texted him before that, like, where are you staying? And it takes, like, five times asking him before he said. He's like, where am I staying? Oh, some hotel. Like, not, you know, not the hotel we talked about. The price shot up. And I was like, where? He's like, by the airport. Like, where? Oh, this, like, thing. I'm like, where? Exactly. And he finally, he's like, okay, I sent out a link. Doesn't understand why I'm asking. Like, somehow he didn't realize that when we said let's get a room together, you're in charge of getting our room, that we met, let's get a room, you're in charge of getting our hotel room. And so if I hadn't been on the plane oh, and God. talked to him, I don't know if I would have had a hotel room. Oh, no. But I was. So instead, he, is, you know, with, with, he has decided to book a place with it, not within walking distance. Yeah. Uh, isn't it by the airport instead of by the, by the event center? It has no gym, which he complained about multiple times because he's, a big nut about trying to work out and yeah. stay in shape. He looks amazing, by the way. He's trying to teach me, no, no, you just try to do one push-up. And I'm like, why do I have a sense I thought I, the push-ups I was doing don't count. I can't actually do one push-up is my thought, right? And it turns out, yes, I absolutely cannot do one push-up Mike Sport style. Like, I can kind of go on, like, I managed to do the way down. Yeah. And that was, like, required several minutes of instruction and some effort. But going up? No, 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 no. And he's like, no, 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 wait, wait, you didn't wait long enough before your last attempt. Like, wait five more minutes before you try to do one push-up again. And I'm like, it's fair. I could, yeah, it's, it's, exercise is hard, man. So, he's got some interesting stuff going on. But, if we get to the room, you know, it's like a pretty sh crappy place. Yeah, it's like, a motel. It's got continental breakfast, but the air quotes are highly aggressive. Like, we find, you know. At one point, I get I venture to extract some milk, but it takes some effort, right? They don't even have milk in drinkable form. They have milk for the thing you use to put on salt bowls of cereals. So then you have to figure out where they hold the cup to try and like force the milk to come out. That <laughs> you can get a glass of milk to go with the with the protein bar that you brought from home to try and actually eat breakfast because you're not going to eat any of their food for God's sake. But that's not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it was like by the end of it, I was like itching a lot. I had some bites, but it's like. These bites are on places that have always had clothes on them. What's going on? I must have gotten these in the hotel. Oh, no. And then, you know, I'm looking at it, and then I pull up my sleeve, and it's like, well, there's, I think, is that two bites? Right? And, like, I get home, and I take my wife, like, you know, I've gotten these, it's weird, i got these bites at the airport. She's like, let me see. And I was like, there's more on my back. Let me see. She goes, well, look at my back. And she's like, shower, put your clothes in a plastic bag, and don't touch anything. Oh, no. So, you know, there's a, some chance. I mean, again, we, we think it's an underdog to actually have been that. 
Because yeah. it turns out Phoenix does have a mosquito problem. So oh, it's okay. possible with just mosquitoes. But it's also possible that he booked a place that was not only completely shitty motel, because you know neither of us have money or anything, but... <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is the funny part that he, of this. That he didn't know I was going to be in. But, there's, you know, but also there were bed bugs. Oh, no. So like I think we're like you know at least ten percent there were bed bugs. Yeah. Right. And we've got, so I I undertook decontamination procedures, right? Like I washed everything, <sighs> took a shower before I touched anything that might yeah. could possibly let them survive, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we should be fine, even if there were bed bugs, we should be fine. But you know, hell of a way to come back from approach from a player store, right? Like the first player store. Sidebar now itchy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I text him, be like. Because after I after I have a chance to like wind out, I'm like, Mike, we may have had bed books. And his text is, yeah. Oh. Which my response is, you realize this and didn't tell me? You mother, F, you mother forker. Like, what the hell? And so, you know, he's like, well, I don't think it's bed bugs. I think it's just normal mosquitoes. But it's possible. Yeah. Which is like. That looks more like a mosquito bite. I, I agree they look like mosquitoes, but the, 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 the scary part is that it's two. Yeah. Right? If you look at it carefully, these are separate. Yeah, yeah. So, like, when they're right close together, there's three, it's bed bugs. Oh. Okay. When there's two, it's unclear. It's like, she shot three next to each other on my back. And that's just the Bayesian inference is that, like, bed bugs have gone from, you know, one in a thousand to one in ten. Right. Right? And suddenly you have to, like, oh. you just make sure it didn't happen. Because, like, if you have kids and, like, you get bed bugs, it's such a yeah. nightmare. It's yeah. like, ruins your life for a month. It's just, like, everything's just pain and annoyance. Oh. So. Hopefully that did not happen because like... So do you, do you believe that would actually sufficiently negate a pie bet? I mean, <laughs> he owes me cake. <laughs> okay. Right? Because I, I got him his qualification slot. He I didn't should. give me his cake. So okay. like, I mean, look, I... All right, we'll, have to, we'll do the math. We'll do the accounting. So like pie is worse than cake. Pie is, but cake is just better than pie. So I think I'm still ahead. Like just by basic food math. But like, look, I whatever happens happens. I agree that that occurred. <laughs> technically, I agree that Elspeth's son's nemesis is a card, and it was in a deck. And someone chose to play a copy, <laughs> and that happened. Like, I mean, that's just the speculation that I said. That like, it might be that people put one copy into like white blue control decks to make sure they can eventually win. That's exactly what happened. I get it. I'm, I'm skeptical it was necessary, but also like. Yeah, you know, occasionally somebody will find a way by hook or by crook to get into the top eight with a deck that isn't any good. Like, yeah, you know, it happens once a tournament, right? Every every tournament has that one guy who sneaks in there, right? Like they just pl they, they know their deck backwards and forwards. They play well. I think of uh, they take all the advantages. They find a way. I think of Louis Salvato. He gets his first top eight um, with like this like red white goggles deck. Yeah. And uh, and he and and you know no one knew who Louis Sabato was. And the goggles do nothing. So the gog and the goggles literally do nothing. Yes. Right. <laughs> and he he comes and goes from the top eight, and we don't think anything of him. Right. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like he's a guy who got to the top eight with a weird deck. Maybe he drafted well. Maybe he did whatever. Yeah. We don't know. Right. Louis Sabato, nice guy, but so you know, moving on. Get to Hawaii for whatever event it was. I don't remember. And he finishes in the top sixteen there. I think he finishes ninth, actually. Yeah. And uh, I interviewed him. It was one of the first times I really did an interview with him. And uh, he was like, oh, you know, he's like, I, I had a great constructive, you know, 
run in this in this tournament and you know and he's like I'm so proud I'm so much more proud of this ninth <laughs> than I am of my top eight because that deck's terrible. <laughs> yeah. He was just like that deck was terrible. So, right. You can still get lucky. You can still yeah, yeah. play well. Broken clocks, etc. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Austin's deck. Have a good dra- have a good draft or two. Yeah, it yeah. always helps. Austin's deck was one Elspeth, one Narset, three to ferry, two to three to ferry, three to ferry. Yeah. Four Supreme Verdict. I mean, if the theory is you want to play one card that doesn't do actual nothing that ensures that you actually win the game. Right? You don't want to just play Castle Ardenvale and then, like, right. you know, Huey just copies your Castle Ardenvale that produces more tokens than you do and you actually lose, which right. is something the commentators were talking about as a possibility. Yeah. So, like, the one else besides Nemesis says, okay, yes, I will eventually probably be able to win this game if it comes to that. And I get it. And I get that, like, if you're worried about counter spells, maybe there isn't another card that does that, so you have to play it. But man, is it terrible. You know, it's just so bad. But, I mean, look, you make choices. And... He, he liked it enough to put a second one in his sideboard. Yeah, I, I'm guessing that's a time thing. Yeah. Right, it's a practical matter. Like, you don't actually need to because you have dig through time. Right. Right, like... Three, three dig through Right, so you, I mean, you can always ensure that you have enough turns with Elspeth yeah. to win the game. So, like, I'm guessing the second one is because if there's, like, five, 15 minutes left in the round, you have to win a game. Like... You don't want to risk your only true win condition being in the bottom, so you want to board another one in. Right. That's my presumption. He might tell me different, but yeah, like yeah. I don't. Soul Guide Lantern one in the main deck, which is kind of interesting. One on the board again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I understand what's going on here, right? It's very every, we all know under we all know what the what the man is cooking. Right. It just seems so terrible. <laughs> like just it's got so many cards that are counting on your opponent to be attacking you with certain angles. And it's just so little in the way of actual good interference for someone serious. Like, my God, don't I just feast on that deck, for example? Right? Like, if I'm playing against him? The what deck? If I play against the blue-white control deck. Don't I just feast on it? I just, I'm just going to play cards, maybe right. all at instant speed, and see what happens. Right. right. And none of your cards do anything, I think. So I like my chances. Yeah. The, the, the big deck was obviously... Uh, Lotus Breach, we talked about it a little bit. Alan Wu uh, also was doing a masterclass all weekend with this deck. Until like two games turned out to be enough to bring the man down, which yeah, is just well, like not... I mean, I, honestly, the red deck, you know, we can talk about Mike a little bit more later, right? Like the red deck seems like maybe just like the right... If you're looking for a way to beat him without having to join him... I mean, let's talk about... Be, let's talk be. more about stopped clocks, right? <laughs> the whole idea of you know, look, these creatures have red, and they attack, and sometimes people die. So I'm just going to keep doing this, and occasionally it will be good. Right. Well, I mean, but for this format, yeah, right? it might be, it, the philosophy of fire might be the right philosophy for for this field if you're trying to compete with, you know, these Lotus Breach decks, and then... like Yeah, I'm not sure that's the back. right way to think about the situation, right? I'm not sure that's the way I would describe the philosophy of that deck, and the philosophy of fire, but it certainly... Should be good against Lotus Field, uh, and if it's not, then the Lotus Field deck is insane. And the Lotus Field deck's a little slow, right? Like it's, you have to play Lotus Field. You probably have to copy Lotus Field, right? Most of the time, so you need turn. You need, so you, you so know, turn three, you play Lotus Field. You don't really get to do anything. Right, turn four, you copy Lotus Field, and, and then you, turn. You can win that. You can win. You that. can win that turn, but it's tough. In my experience, it's yeah. tough. From what I've seen. Like, this is a turn five deck. 
you know, through a lot of resistance. But it's not a turn four deck that re very reliably at all through no resistance. Right. And it also puts up very little resistance, right, itself. The one annoying thing is just, like, we're counting on Lotus Fields, but, oh, look, we can tutor for it. We can't counter it. We can't remove it because it has hexproof. That seems like great magic, folks, right? Like, it's just a little frustrating when it gets to this level. So, so let me ask you a question. I mean, there's there's a lot of discussion immediately after the tournament about, which just happens every time you have a modern event. I assume it'll happen every time you have a pioneer event. People start talking about bannings. Do you, do you, what, where, where do you feel the field is right now post three weekends of pro tour level competition in this, you know, kind of like still pretty wide open format? Well, if you look at the chart, of archetypes from day one, right? Just the pie chart. Right. And you don't know what's what, right? You don't know which, which, which deck is which, 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 which part of it. You would say, well, what were we hoping for that was better than this, right? You have a 20 and then a bunch of eight through tens and then a bunch of minor stuff and lots of different decks. Right. So that's ideal. And it's not like cheaty different decks, right? It's with genuinely different strategies all over the place. You're seeing lots of different, you know, you can play Anything you want, a control deck can be the top eight if you really want that, so it's not completely dead. Like, it's not anything you would possibly consider banning a card for, you'd think. So, the two counter arguments from that that I can tell. So, right. just to. Just to 2013 10, right, which is kind of perfect. So, right, it was, it was 72 Demure Inverter decks. So, to be clear, 72 of a. So, 20% so a combo deck, 13%. Uh, an aggro fly, you know, flying creature, like, I, fishy I always, deck. I just call them fish decks. Yeah. A fish deck. Which is 10% monocolor aggro. 9%, like, funky com you know, funky combo, where the 20% is a pseudo-control, like, deck over combo finish. Right? Then, a mid-range soul tie delirium deck. A different aggro deck. A, like, weird aggro, life gain, combo-y, like, mono-white deck. Then, like a three-color, like, funky combo-ish thing, then a pure control deck, then, like, a tribal deck, then a five-color Niv Good Stuff deck, right? I'm just literally going down the list. Then an Insole Artifact deck, followed by a Ramp deck, and then 34 copies, and then 10% then, then Rogues, right. right? So when I put it that way, like, this was a triumph. I'm making a note here, huge success, right? Like, that's exactly what you want, right? Like, why would you mess with this chart, right, is, what, is, the, is the main argument, I would say, for obviously why are we even looking at a ban, right. right? And the reason we're looking at a ban is because that fourth deck, Lotus Breach, overperformed a lot this weekend, and just on its face seems by many people to be completely ridiculous. Like, a lot of people who played it to know the sex's insane. The sex but but when you look at the people who played it, they're also insane. Right, they're also, right, you're, you're talking about Luis Scott Vargas, and you're talking about Alan Wu, who, maybe not a household name, but just is a phenomenal magic player. You're talking about uh, William Huey Jensen, right, like, who, by the way, won multiple games in that top eight that you, listening at home, no offense, would not have won. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, like, I, <laughs> I figured it out, but like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mean, just like he is, he is one of a single-digit number of people, I believe, you know, who could win some of the games he won. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I figured it out like the turn before he did it was about to happen. It doesn't mean I had the game plan like the whole ten turns, right? right? I mean, 
So right, and that's 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 always to me the insane thing just about Huey. By the way, is how far ahead, how much he can like look at his cards and know like I can't use this card now because what I'm going to do in five turns is going to work. Yeah, I see him take lines that just look so inefficient, but turn out to be exactly no. This is actually the way you win this game. He's like I need these critical mass of cards to do this. Yeah, he's a master. He's the master. It's unbelievable how he like just plans for that big turn and then you watch him and then like it's like oh my god he's playing control players can play opponent has a full hand they're like got all these planeswalkers on the board what's he gonna do and then like a turn later his opponent's got nothing yes <laughs> i mean i did realize what was about to happen but <laughs> it was still amazing to watch it slowly develop to the point where i realized oh this is what's gonna happen three turns from now oh no it's the turn yeah here it is yeah yeah and i was like is this and, and, and then like, like so one story was we were, we were joking about Reed, during the later rounds, we were joking about Reed Duke, and they were saying, like, you know, seeing Reed Duke, he has this, like, Delirium deck, it doesn't seem like it does anything. He's just playing the Reed Dukest of cards, and, like, his deck is a four, but he's playing, like, a 12, and so it's working out. And, like, Jacob Wilson takes the same deck and, like, also plays really well, and, like, you know, you look at the list, you watch it play, and it's like, wow, if I had just countered that tireless tracker, it turns out your deck would have done, like, nothing that entire game. <laughs> But like I gave the deck too much, res- you know, I sort of gave the deck enough respect that I figured like I don't, I should just develop. And it turns out he has multiple counter spells and no action. But like, given how many cards were in his sideboard, it's like how many counter spells does he have in his list? Like three, yeah. right? Like it, I mean, we can check now. He's in the top eight. But like, oh, which player? Uh, Jacob Wilson. Oh, I'm sure. a little curious what the numbers were. Like, how unlucky did I get? Uh, and then he, he had, hit them. Not in the in the sideboard, right? Like in the sideboard, he had three, three mystical disputes and all oh, right, and then the disdainful stroke showed up. Yeah, yeah, so he had two of the four. So like, I'd already seen one, right? I figured that like yeah, four was kind of the maximum he could have, just because he was going to ride out of. That's a long time ago. I ignore that. Um, it was just yeah. I figured like well, he has to have two counter spells. This this line looks really good. And then he had them, and it's like whoops, yeah. But. <laughs> um, so just a matter of good players find ways to win. Right. Uh, but no, the deck is ridiculous. Like, it just seems patently obvious to me the deck is ridiculous if you look at it. But at the same time, it would be a great disservice to us Magic fans out there, right, who have been playing Pioneer for a while. This really cool, amazing deck just came out. There's nothing on the line in any substantial way for weeks or months, Right. Why are you not waiting for proof? Like the same way, like the last time we broadcast, I was like, well, I really hope that Heliod isn't broken. Right. If I hadn't explored Pioneer and all, I didn't know. Right. It, it wasn't major deck. It was on the list of archetypes. Right. So it was like fine. But like, of course they didn't ban it, right? Like it's just a matter of, my point wasn't that they should ban it. My point was, you should be ready to ban this if it turns out it's stupid. Right. Because right? we didn't know about Inverter at the time. We didn't know about Lotus Breach at the time. Right. At least I didn't. Yeah. And, you know, this looked like the premier threat. It was just a matter of be prepared to act if you have to. But at the same time, keep your powder dry, right? Let them prove it is a really great principle. Like, Red Decks are starting to play Ash Sell It. We're starting to play what? Ash Sell It more and Ooh. more, right? Like, I, I, why don't you go off from the graveyard, sir? <laughs> Good luck. Ow, that's painful. You know, I'm watching the Grand Prix and this, this, this person puts out Leyland of Combustion, Leyland of Combustion, and then Ash Delet. And I just assume that Ash Delet's there to fuel like some Nykthos thing, right? Because like, why would you play Ley Lines if you weren't trying to Nykthos? So if you're not familiar with Ash Delet, it's a 2-2 two, two for 2. So it's like kind of like an Eidolon. It actually really is very much like an Eidolon, right? It's because whatever player... Was it rare? A spell from a graveyard, 
Ash Zealot deals three damage to that player. It is a rare. So, probably a good spec at 47 cents. <laughs> right? Like, that seems cheap. Uh, first Strike and Haste, too. So, you know, fits no, right into right, that. Right, it's like, it's one of those creatures that was always, like, for red, it's remarkably good. It's just a little bit behind, and occasionally the spec does something. But if the effect is actually important, right, you become another Eidolon that you just can't win through. Right. You know, and now you've got, like, Ashdawat and Eidolon, and you can't win through either of them. Becomes a serious problem. I mean, the thing that's so ridiculous, the thing that's ridiculous about Breach is you get to play four, give, four, four Gifted, right? You get to play four Fae of Wishes. Yes, as I said. 67 cents. But you get to play four Fae of Wishes, and you often have 10 or more mana on turn five, or even turn, yeah, or, or even turn four. Yeah. And so your answer to a lot of these problems is wish for Ugin. Yeah. And just wipe your board. And use three cards to wipe your board, leave me some of a planeswalker, go. Right. And so, you know, your plan of I'm gonna make sure you can't do anything useful just runs into like, well, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I triggered your idol on once the whole time. Right. I didn't even use your ass it. now what? And you had you spend no cards in your deck doing that. It's just like it's two sideboard slots, basically, right? To make sure you can do that. Maybe one. And so it's just really frustrating. Like you shouldn't be able to get that much mana that cheaply, that reliably. My my, my guess is if if at some point it's deemed necessary to ban something, I would guess it's Lotus Field. Yeah, I would strongly favor betting Lotus Field over betting Underworld Breach. But the fact that Underworld Breach has not made its mark in standard right. in an interesting way yet is a sign that it's probably not the problem. It's it's a super sweet card though, and obviously that engine with Tome Scour is clearly something that if you find a different mana engine is going to let you dump all your cards. Yes, but the mana, mana engine part is tough. Yeah, I agree. So. I agree. And the graveyard's always vulnerable. I, I think it's the fact that they both before Fae of Wishes. It just gives them all of his extra outs is what makes that deck so stupid right now. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Let's, talk about let's give it a few weeks and see what happens, yeah, right? Let's talk about the flying elephant in the room, though, which is the Demir Inverter. You know, the Inverter of Truth. You know, the Eldrazi are so misunderstood. <laughs> you're, 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 you're here to... Uh, they call them elephants. Like, it's just, you know... It might have been an elephant one. Is that a racial point. slur? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I apologize to all the Eldrazi for my insensitive... Please don't eat me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um... So Corey, Corey wins the whole thing. You you were actually sitting next to Corey. Yeah, I chatted point. with him during day one a bunch of times. He just has a smile, giant smile on his face. He's like, yep, going terribly, battling back. Yeah, and he then, started out two and three. And four and three, we're sitting next to each other playing for day two. And, and I'm playing against the inverter deck, and he's playing against Chapin, who's playing the Delirium deck. Okay. And you know, I can't tell what's going on. At one point, he inverts with a 16-card library full of... Re re to a 16-card library full of random crap, and I'm just like, I don't know what's going on over there. I gotta focus on my match. You know, it just looks really weird. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so happy for Corey. Uh, I, I was super happy for Corey just for him to get that first top eight. He was very high on that list of players with, with you know, just a ton of experience, and 
I don't even know if pro points exist anymore, but like what I would think of as pro points as like some measure of. I think you get a seven, yeah, you just first place gets a seventy percent fractional invite. It's just, something <laughs> very strange is happening. You hit this chart, and it's like 30, 40, 70. Okay, I kind of get what you're going for here. Like you know, three to add to the seventy to get there, and yeah. the forty is a little bit extra, so you can do some 40, yeah. 40, 40, 30, 30 action, right? Like yeah. going on, and then like in the top eight, it still says seventy, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like. What does man? What does what does the player often do to get an invite around this town? Right? Like, shouldn't it just be good for one invite? Like, didn't I top eight or something? What kind of BS is this? Right? I, I don't even. That's a whole other podcast. That no, I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm not claiming to know anything. I yeah. just like this looked like BS to me yeah. for first glance. Like, what the hell? No, but think about Corey. Is Corey makes your life better? Yeah. Like Corey makes your experience. Like they were talking about. Like the idea. Of you know you you for the good place like you do this good thing and it doesn't like change the world it just makes your day one percent better it makes someone else's day one percent better and that's like what it's all about in some yeah. important sense and Corey will constantly making your day one percent better yeah absolutely I, he he takes great joy in the game uh, holds himself to a very high standard of play you know uh, and and sometimes those two things can be at odds with one another if you know what I mean like. You know, where people can get so caught up in their um, success as a player and, and, and playing optimally that it, it, it can, you know, we've all had that, right? Like, I, I think that was one of my secret weapons that, that even I didn't fully understand until I had been doing it for years was that I was able always to be having fun, like genuinely right. having great fun, but at the same time, be really focused on playing well right. while doing it. Not letting it interfere. And the trick is, if you are visibly joking around, having fun, enjoying the moment, it's infectious. Right. Your opponent does it too. And then their mind gets distracted. <laughs> and they don't play with the same eye of the tiger. And they play when they're playing as one of these super serious persons. Like you sat down from Seth Manfield and like... I didn't know Seth Fanfield liked playing Magic until several years after I'd met him. <laughs> like, this is a literal story, right? I play him in round three of a pro tour, right? And, like, it's very, plays very professionally. He wins. He plays very well. But then, like, I, I, got, I got out from the table, and it's like, why did this man play? He looks so glum the whole time. And, like, Jacob Wilson is, like, also has no expression, right? But, oh, yeah. but like, Jacob always has this, like, little, like, like, inner smile on his face. Like, you can tell that he's there because he wants to be there. And Seth was just, like... You know, gotta have a quota to bring back to the boss. Like you know, <laughs> this is my job. I'm gonna do it. Like it felt like that, right? But then you 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 see his emotional speech at the Hall of Fame. You you talk to him and you realize, no, he loves 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 this game. He's just trained himself to show nothing. Well, I think I think what you alluded to, yeah, like the idea that if someone like lets that facade crack a little bit or lets a little bit of joy come into the game, that sometimes for 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 a lot of people, um. You have to really train yourself to take that emotion out of the game so that you make the right decision. So you make the optimal decision all the time. For for a lot of people there, you know, the fun play. Yes. Like you don't wanna you don't wanna fall into the habit of making the fun play. Right. Whereas to me when you're trying to succeed. The fun play is to appreciate what's happening. Like sure. it wouldn't be right to not make the right decision. Right. That doesn't seem. You're you're talking about a macro joy as opposed to like a. Micro yeah, joy. yeah. You're taking joy in the. You're taking joy sort of from a meta perspective, right? From yeah. noticing what's happening, right? Yeah. Like one of the moments I'll never forget from a pro tour, we were already eliminated from day two contention. And we're playing it out, right? 
And I'm fighting the same, did Proto Justin Gary one with Oath, and I'm fighting the Oath deck with the Cognivores. And I play Living Wish after I'd basically taken control of the game. And I go and get Palancron. <laughs> because we have Palancron in our sideboard so that we can play a Palancron under the Oath, and if they dare use the Oath, we pick up the Palancron and we open a Cognivore. And if they don't, then we kill them. And we keep our mana on tap so we can counter spells, right? It's like, and then he looks at the Palancron, looks at me, gets this giant smile on his face. He says, you're going to use that card for its original intended purpose. And I get an even bigger smile. I say, yes, I am. Because like, it's not like it's a, I can't, there's no reason to pretend otherwise, right? It's like game two. Like, I, he knows what I am. And so it's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And so, you know, combo player that I am, I may have top made it a pro tour by untapping a land many, many times with Palancron. But now I'm here to play it just because it's a 4-5 flyer and I can pick it up when I have to. Right. And gonna, I'm using all the text, yeah, I'm using all the text on this card like an Eskimo or something, right? Like just to, just to get her done. I'm not like one specialized weapon. And just appreciating those moments, like to me are the, some of the best moments in the Pro Tour, right? Like, because we were having a blast. Yeah. And I think that like I picked up some percentage of that. Same thing like when I, was, I have an amazing record in matches that don't count. Right, which is like a weird thing to talk about, but like the, the, the tournaments were like four and four didn't make it, right, to the next day, and I was like two and four, and I'm like, no, no one's dropping. This is the Pro Tour. Come on. Yeah. Like that, that's, that dishonor, dishonors our entire game. I'm going to play this out, and in those two and four matches, I'm like, you know, 75%, 85%, something insane, because I was able to take it very seriously while just enjoying, I was trying to take a fun match very seriously, and my opponents mostly were just disheartened and already defeated. Right. Um, so let's, let's go back to yeah, yeah. let's go back to the Demir Inverter deck though for a second. So number one deck in the tournament um, by volume, right? By yeah. volume had a finals appearance. Did pretty well, right? In, like, in yeah. Brussels, right? Right. That was the opposite side of the swarm finals. Japan. Yeah. So what? Uh, wh wh where do you think we go from here? Corey, Corey wins, obviously, uh, with with this deck. Um, I found the number of thought erasures in the in the two decks that made it being low to be interesting because my instinct was that three or four was the correct answer because it was going to be so strong in the mirror it was going to be so strong against hate it was going to be so strong against breach right like everywhere that you care a lot about winning it's a very strong card yeah there are some places like mono red where like there's too many of these but like is it even bad right because like you can definitely slow them down a considerable amount by taking the card that's actually going to kill you Right. Out of their hand. There's, there's always a critical mass card. Yeah, and also, just in, and also in general, you just want to know the coast is clear, and then you want to invert with a bunch of discard in your library because your last turn often wants to be discard or discard, discard into kill spell. Right? That's how I lost when I lost, was that, like, yeah, you can go ahead and invert, right? But then you have to actually win the game. But the way you win the game is that you just, like, take both counter spells out of my hand before you cast your Jace. <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. Like, I'm sitting on this disdainful strike, and you're like, thought sees you. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Right. Whoops. So, you know, yeah, I mean, and yet there's only seven cop seven copies in the two that made top eight. Right. Makes me wonder if, like, I'm missing something about that. It's also just an easy board card out if you need to. But also, that's sort of the matchups where Duress is bad, and then I really want Thought, I really want thought Erasure to take its place. You know, right, you, I mean, you have Thought Seize, you don't want to pay the two life. I, I, I don't know. I'll tell you a card I think that looks really good in this metagame right now in that, in that two spot is Agonizing Remorse. I think that that is a very reasonable card. Like, there's times where you look at your opponent's hand 
and maybe it's not so amazing and you don't want to take something, but there's always something and there are there are certainly multiple in some matchups, yeah. Where you absolutely want to get something out of it. That's game definitely game. a sideboard card. That that's a card yeah. that you bring in when you want to pile it on. Right. Right. You just you want to do this for even more. Uh, and I I can get behind that for sure. If you have access to if you don't have access to blue, also it's just yeah, really great. The surveil on thought erasure is pretty pretty sweet though. Yeah. Like it's really hard for me to argue with that. Right. Right. Especially, especially again, you also want cards in your yard that you can use to then fuel. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the one life is not the one life is is not nothing. Right. And the surveil is pretty sweet. So I'm. Yeah, if I'm back to the blue, reliably, I'm just not giving... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Ford big through time and court is less, so he... Surveil is a big game. Surveil is pretty huge. Um, what... what uh, I, one of the things I thought was really interesting about this list is how many times watching Corey play, he actually just, after sideboarding, just played a control game. Well, it's a control... As has been commented on many times, it's a control deck with a combo kill, right? It's right. a... And Jace plays as a normal card. So it's only Inverter and Thassa's Oracle that don't play really well as a control deck. And Thassa's Oracle is like, it's the classic, like, very, very super medium card, right? Like when I was reviewing it for Standard and said it was basically terrible, it's because it doesn't do anything. Right. But that doesn't mean, and Jace is just a better, like, if you just want a card to make sure you kill people, like, Jace is just, you know, a thousand times better than Thassa's Oracle at that. But Thassa's Oracle is, like, still a 1-3, and there are a bunch of matchups where that matters. I think it's Metal Black has a bunch of 2-1s. Here's a 1-3. That sounds yeah. great. Uh, but, you know, you can afford to, like, lessen up. And 6-6s six are still, like, inverting your deck is off, you know, if you're not doing much with it and you're selecting carefully, it's often pretty sweet, right? There's no light right. in there. So that's, that's pretty nice. And then, yeah, I... I so, like... You've always got the pack rats, right? You, you, everyone's got the pack rats. That's another way to win the game. Yeah, I, yeah. I just almost, I almost feel like there's. A so he's got, yeah, he's got a Kalidas. A version of this deck that just becomes a pack rat deck. <laughs> I mean, or at least it's just like a blue black control deck that's just not not trying to fight this uh, inverter of truth as oracle game. I think it's just so powerful. You have to. Yeah. Um, I've been a big fan of the Scarab God watching this deck out of the sideboard. I'm just, Corey doesn't have one. But, yeah, yeah. You know, so the kind of card that's like, you don't necessarily need two. Right. But I want one. You've got four different times. Right. And you, wait, it also lets you, like, as the games drag on, like, um, set up your kit, your combo at instant speed by, you know, reanimating a, you know, inverter of truth. And then the Thassa's Oracle. And then the Thassa's Oracle. You never know. Yeah, it's yeah. just one of these cards that just, like, this card is... This card is not going to cost me very much to play straight up and might just be better than your deck. Yeah. And so having access to that just seems really attractive to me. But again, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to say. Well, one of the cards that, one of the decks that was, was doing well, didn't quite make the top eight, was uh, Ranches Suleiman's uh, Orzhov. This is one of the rogue decks, right? Yeah. yeah, this is one of the rogue decks. All right, so I haven't seen this list. Let's take a oh, look. Yeah, he, did, so. he did a deck tag. He was, yeah. you know, it looks like five Gideons. Archangel Avison, Glorybound Initiate, uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion, Kenoros, uh, Hagrithrios, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Thalia, um, and Thraben Inspector. Which, yeah. I like Kuneros. That's, 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 yeah. that's, that's hilarious. Just the one. Just say no. Yeah. Next card on the list is Scrap Heap Scrounger because of course it is. <laughs> like there are rules. The it's just like a white-black beat-down deck. 
Yeah. Um, you know, history of Benalia, Heart of Kieran. Yeah, um, I just an anguish of making fourth fatal push for Thoughtsies. Honestly, this feels like a, this is. I think this is goggles. Like, <laughs> I think this is terrible. Like, you've got one player playing a deck. You know, if they know their deck, their deck has tools. It's only ten rounds. Sometimes they do really well. But like, I. But Sam Black and I once played a white black aggro deck that like did a you know very similar like was just going to present a lot of problems to various people and did really well and then nobody ever tried the deck ever again. This deck will almost certainly have a similar fate okay. where like even if it was good, literally nobody will ever play it. And <laughs> we'll just never know. Um, the the other deck uh, that was uh, in the top eight, Zach um, Bikini, Modern Aggro. We talked a little bit about. It. Yeah, you, there's enough difference between different builds that, like, you actually have to look. Like, Rimrock Knight, that's not normal, right? Like, that's a, yeah. that's a different choice. Yeah, and we, we, saw, him use, we saw him using that uh, a couple times. Yeah, before, it's, it's, a, it's a very straight... Like, uh, so many of the decks we see in Pioneer have twos and threes and ones and a couple of fours, but the numbers are all over the place. But this is, like, a pretty clean list. He's got one Chandra Torch of Defiance, two Torbrand, two Zergo. But then it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Four Abbot, four Bone Crusher, four Goblin Rabble Master, four Swift Spear, four Rimrock, four Soul Scar, four Lightning Strike, four Wild Slash, and then one Shock. Yeah, no, it's a it's a very clean list as are most of them. It's, it's Rabble Master is the big sort of decision, right? Twenty yeah, twenty two lands. I'm surprised by the Chandra Torture Defiance over the third Torben, but um, just given everything else that's going on in this list, like it just seems like with four Rabble Masters, I just want my Torbins. Right. right, really badly, but I don't know. It's really hard to say. Like, mostly the dust makes perfect sense, but there's also like, you know, seventy-five cards worth of red cards you could main deck. Yeah, that make perfect sense. Yeah. So you've got choices. Oh yeah, I mean, there, there, there's there's more cards uh, available. Like we, we talked about the Ash Zealot is a card that might be a reasonable choice in this meta game. Um, and I would be running Ash Zealot going forward if I was going to run red. Yeah. That's what would you? Bring me. What would you like? Something like Abbot of Carol Key or Rock Knight or Rimrock, Yeah. Yeah. Something. I mean, the two slot. We're not cutting our one drops. I mean, it's, we have. I mean, he has Zergo, so like we can consider cutting a Zergo because like a lot of people just don't run the yeah. ninth one drop or even battle on the tenth. But like we're not cutting our you know, our prowess base at the one. Uh, I mean, like, this is a Rabble Master build, right? Which means cutting a lot of other stuff. But I like Rabble Master. Yeah. Um, I like using Warboss myself, also. Yeah. You know, it's got its charm. I'm a big fan of cards that just win the game. Like, on their own. Yeah. So. Yeah, Rabble Master and Warboss are very, very similar. Yeah, I remember when people were telling to me, like, it's a Lanor Elf-based format. Everyone's just dominating with Lanor Elves. And I was just super excited because, like, I know how to play Lanor Elf decks in my <laughs> sleep. It's going to be great. Yeah, the Lanor Elf uh, did not show up for this event. Nope. It's nowhere to be found. Yeah. I mean, when you, I mean, they, I think they banned enough green cards, maybe. Maybe one too many. I don't know. If it didn't yeah. show up at all, right? Yeah, but, I, I mean, again, going back to that chart, right, like... There is when you consider the first weeks of the pioneer format. Yeah, we, uh, the, dominated the, by the, the green. green is like Sultai Delirium and like the like the companies out of Bant Spirits. It's just very little. Right. Like no no real green decks. Right. right? No serious green. Right. And and the one drop green creature we see in multiple different types of decks is a Boreal Grazer. Yes. Which just ramps you ahead in your mana. Uh, right. I mean, yes, yes. Lotus Breach has green cards in it, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Like it's yeah. a it's a sweet. 
It, that card is so sweet in the Lotus Breach deck. It mm. is. It is kind of unreal how sweet that card is there. <sighs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I can't. Um, yeah, no, it's very, very interesting. Um, so now here, here's a question I really been waiting to ask you because you you alluded to it uh, when we got started, which was you said you wanted to find out what a player's tour was, right? You know, like it's the first one. Yeah. And I've talked about on Twitter today, I was talking about how Huey has top finishes in four different decades. And then last weekend when Pat, when Paolo made the, the top four, I talked about how he now had top finishes. He hit for the cycle. He became the first player to bat for the cycle where he has a first through eighth. Right. Because right? he and, didn't have a fourth. And my immediate question was, does this count? So that's... And so, as far as I'm concerned, like, you know, I, I still do some writing for Wizards and still do some, you know, Pro Tours, you know, some Hall of fame kind of stuff. And so, by that standard, it counts, right? Uh, the Players Tour finishes count as top finishes, right? That, that elevates them above a Grand Prix uh, and, and, and puts them in the same camp as a Mythic Championship, as a Pro Tour, as a World Championship, uh, as an arena uh, mythic championship, right? They're all in this same bucket of top finishes. But they also aren't, right? They well, obviously they all, they're all very different. Right. But so so what did, as someone who has seen uh, just about everything over the history of Magic, what, where, where did this event sit for you texture-wise? Like, what did it feel like? It felt like a super GP slash, like, not quite a pro tour, right? Like, it felt like somewhere in the in the middle, and it was hard to tell. Like, different elements of it reference different things. Like, the moment when... Like, the biggest thing about it feeling like a pro tour was the dual format. Okay. Right? It was... So draft and then final. Right. Like, you just don't do that outside right. of major events. Right. For the most part. And so the idea that, like, you draft for three rounds and you play Constructed... That felt like, though this is the structure of a pro tour, I feel like I'm in a pro tour. But some other things work the other way. Um, a bit, like some, some other things like small stuff. Like, when I was at the last pro tour, the pro tour had its own room in right. Richmond. Like, right. there was a room, which is, this is Richmond. And then over there was the Magic Fest. Here, it was just, you're, you're in the same room. Right. It just cordoned off. Like a little, not, even, not even that cordoned off. It was right. just right it's, there. It's rope and stanchion, right? Like they, they, they put up a, a tension barrier between the two. Barely. Yeah, it was yeah. just there. It was just sort of, you're just at the GP and you're just playing a bigger event. Um, another big thing was the two out of three and top eight. Yeah, see, I, I really... Um, that just sort of crashed my, like... When you have, like, if a zero is a GP, like, for the purposes of the, of the scale... And a one is whatever Pro Tour Richmond, whatever Richmond was. Right. Right? Which was clearly still a full Pro Tour. Yeah. Like, that crashed me down, like, a full, like, point one or more. Right? Just the moment I just visibly turned on the coverage and saw two dots instead of three for each player. Right. Just didn't feel right. Right. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I mean, I understand. But, you know, it's so funny, right? Because Arena does best two out of three for the, for the Arena Mythic Championships, but then they do double elimination. Which so, is which, which, which ameliorates like no no the, the if, two you, out of three. if you do double limb you don't have to talk about it at all like, it's right. the same idea basically the problem is like you're Alan you dominate a tournament right you lose two games and you're out 
Right, to, to, a, to a bad matchup, yeah. Yeah, you, you, basically a guy squeaks in on tie breaks in eighth with a deck that happens to be good against you. Right. Like, you get one game to basically have your sideboard work. Yeah. Yeah. In the matchup you don't want to face, and you're out, and you don't get a redraw of any kind. Right. And it just seems kind of sad. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was super weird. Um, I don't understand. And again, the coverage, which I enjoyed watching, I watched a lot of the coverage... I want to go back and watch it. Was done by like three o'clock. Well, the coverage, you know, the, the coverage, like when I watched Brussels, right? Yeah. I came out of watching Brussels thinking, this is a GP. Yeah. Like, let's not mince words, right? Okay. You watch Brussels, you come out of the coverage saying that was a good G, that was a good European Grand Prix that I just watched, right? The players, like all the prop players showed up and they played really well. And there were some, you know, a lot of rounds, which was nice, and I appreciated right. that, and they had some limited, but fundamentally, it's a GP, it's being covered like a GP, the attitude is it's a GP, like... Sort of covered like a GP, right? Like, it was certainly um, from someone, you know, like, it was clearly the GP kit to yeah, I, inside baseball in terms of, like, the cameras, and, you know, there wasn't the same kind of, you know, there were no... There were no dolly shots with, with, with 4K cameras, and there was no... It, it was clearly a scaled-back production from what we think of maybe as a pro tour. But there were hand cams, right? You know, we did get, we did get hand lists. We Sometimes. Did, we did get, like, draft picks listed on the side as... The draft, draft picks, that, that was a nice So, touch. like, that there was nice. obviously... It was obviously more than we would get. They, they, they were clearly trying to go a little extra. Yeah. It's clearly a spruced up Grand Prix, right. but it fundamentally felt like a Grand Prix. At the tournament, it felt halfway-ish, and I think that's fair. Yeah. It, it's something more than... It's much more than a GP, but it's also much less yeah. than a Richmond. One, one, of, one of the things that uh, I, I noticed, and I don't know if it's something that other people see, but you know, this is from just my sort of unique perspective of in, you know, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, you know, uh, is I felt very disconnected from the players. Like, yeah. I did not feel like, and I, I don't put this, I'm not putting this on anybody in front of the camera, but like they didn't talk a lot about the players. In terms of their accomplishments, we had the photos on of, the screen. Is we that had the photos, but we didn't get, but we didn't, we didn't get to hear much from them. Like there were yeah. some interviews down the stretch with Maria, which I thought were fantastic. I was watching I some of those live. They I thought were, she they did a fun, great job. They were fun as hell. You know, but like there, there's not that. Like hey, like tell me about Charles Wong, right? Who's this guy who I wanted to know more about him. I, I happen to know Charles is like a Seattle player, and he's he's really good. He's a limited specialist. He's done well in a lot of Pacific Northwest GPs, right? But, like, give me something that I can be invested in. And, and the, where I think that the scale back comes from is normally if you go to a pro tour, I mean, we don't know the, all these things about every player, but there's a binder, right? Like, Rich Hagon is contracted before the pro tour, and he puts together this dossier with how the person qualified and you know, how many accomplishments they have and what their first event was in a hometown. And if he can get a little more detail, he gets a little more detail. And, the, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, we've got Charles Wong. Okay, he's from here. So whoever um, the superstar is this weekend, whoever breaks out, you're ready. You're ready. And uh, at a GP even, there would be a person, a showrunner, whose job is just going like, we don't have that binder, but that person goes 
into um, the, you know, goes into the feature match area, interviews the players, right, while they're getting set up. And it's like, oh, hey, Zvi, where are you from? Oh, how long have you been playing Magic? Okay. Oh, cool. Any, anything funny happen? You know, just give me a little tip. Oh, that's, oh, Mike, Mike Flores gave you bed bugs? I got it. Okay. And goes over to Skype, right? Types it into Skype, and uh, and then Marshall's like, oh, yeah, so uh, Z's from New York. He's been playing Magic forever. He's a Hall of Famer. I have no idea how I never heard of him before, but clearly... Marshall's pretty above you. <laughs> he's clearly really good. And a funny story about Z, you know, he's, you know, like Flores, too cheap to book a decent hotel, and now he sees me scratching his arms it's because he's got goddamn bed bugs, right? And that's... <laughs> And that's just, you know, and, and I think that that's like where you see some of the scaling back. There's not someone, there wasn't someone, to me, clearly, there was not Corbin or Mark Calderero or Megan Wolf or uh, Athena uh, Froelich uh, who have been in that role in the past or me, you know, sitting there, you know, either leveraging known information or because, you know, you're in the booth. You, you, you don't, you don't, first of all, you also don't want to reach for anything. If you're in the booth, you never want to be like, I think Charles Wong is from Portland. Oh, shit, it's from Seattle. You know what I mean? You don't want to say anything wrong. You don't want, you know, you want that, you want someone to hand you that information authoritatively. Just say and, that and you, you took another Red Blue Tutu flyer and move on <laughs> with your life, right, if you have to. Right, right, right. No, well, yeah, we, we. Right, that's definitely something you do when you're in the booth, right? Like, you're like, I don't know this card name, but let's describe it and as confidently as possible. Use whatever you have. Right. But um, that, to me, was the big thing that really disconnected it to me from... I, I actually felt on that level, it was even less successful than a GP. Right, because I feel like at a GP, because, because that was always such a priority making sure we got to a little bit about these players. And, and, I, and I really missed, while the interviews were great, I missed the immediacy of having someone on the floor talking to the players after the matches, right. throughout the weekend, or getting funny stories from the floor, or you know they were all these kind of post-produced pieces. And I, I really like that live interview, that moment where someone's like, oh my God, I just ambushed an Uru with, Thassa, it was so cool. Let me tell you about it, right? And you're like, okay, come over here. We'll turn the camera on and, you know, get oh, that story. Yeah, and I, I love, I, I like the Find Your Champion thing they're doing for the World Championship. I love it. I think they're great. I've also seen them a lot by now. A lot of them, like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were so many people in the World Championship. That's yeah. the whole point. At some point, you've seen all of them. Yeah. And then. So it's really, it's really interesting to see how much, I mean, obviously, obviously, small field World Championship, there's been obviously months of media preparation for that. We're going to get like lots of narrative on all the players. Obviously, it's going to be a much lusher production than we saw in these past... Uh, and we're going to get to see the contrast again and, and yeah. see why it's, you know, in some sense, not the same thing. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that also there's just... There's the sheer... The, the, the sheer, like, the, the sequencing, right? The whole, like, well, there's one of these that we're going to see going on in Japan at the same time, another one next week in America, and then it's like, yeah, we played this format last week, different people... And there's three of them, and then there's three of them again, and they come, you know, they feed into this other tournament, and then that feeds into this other tournament. Yeah. And yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like the whole thing. And like, 
It also, like, the, the numbers are going to feel like steroid era style thing where, like, you know, if you just count everything. Well, it's, it's a I made a joke on Twitter about this, right? Like, and that's why it takes 17 top leagues to get onto the Hall of Fame ballot, <laughs> you know, because we're going to have how many, how, excuse me, how many top eights this, right? You know, we've had three pro tour top eight, you know, top finishes added to the history books over two weekends. Your chance of top eighting one of these events is obviously much higher than the chance of top eighting a given pro tour. Is it? If you're good. Absolutely. So the... the, the Two-thirds of the top players are somewhere else. Sure. There's 24 slots to do it in. Right. Right? And the fact that you don't... The fact that a lot of your people who would have started out unqualified start out qualified is slightly annoying. But let's be honest. Most of those players are never top eighting. Right. Or almost never top eighting. They are players who are not at that level. But, but I, got, I got to tell you, at the same yeah. time, I, all three of the top eights, I have looked forward, like... They're stacked. They're stacked. I, you know, I'm like, that's, ooh, that's the point, though, right? I'm like, if, ooh, Akira Asahara, you know, If you yes. have 24 players in stacked top eights, yeah. that means that your chances, if you, are, if you are a person who stacks a top eight... Right, if you are a Ken Yukihiro, you are Apollo, who yeah. stacks the top eight, clearly your chances of helping to stack a top eight over the last two weeks are much higher than your chances of stacking a given top eight before. I feel like we're veering into a completely different definition of brick than has traditionally been associated with magic here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, like a brick. No, wait. <laughs> That's something else. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I, the point being that you know, I think you don't, you don't get to count these the same way when you're talking about like best of debates and Hall of Fame style you, debates. How do you compare this to a 24 person world championship which also counts as a top finish versus a 72 person arena mythic championship? Yeah. So I I have trouble with those. I mean I have trouble with the arena championships because of the arbitrary nature of a lot of the slots. Right? Where they're choosing who gets in based on who they decided had a good stream and and then well I have a better I have a good finish you know or who they want to give a chance to right who they wanted to feature and while a lot of those players are really worthy well if you get a, if you get a shortcut to a 68 person field and then you top eight a 68 person field you're top 12 percent of that that's not that impressive in some important sense but if you top four, if you top two, if you just beat the best players in the world, they're you know two thirds of the field plus other players who qualified or whatever. But like if you if you grind your way to mythic and then you hit for a two thousand person field to go ten and one against a lot of the best players, at least in the back half of that, to qualify for the sixty eight person event and then you top eight, clearly that's a full you know, with tons of money on the line. You know, it's hard for me to say that didn't. I can't say that didn't count. Right. right. That's at least as good as a Richmond. It has to be. So Grand Prix is zero. Classic Pro Tours a one. Right. That's yeah. Where, where? What is? What is a player's tour? Give me the. the I think it's a half. Oh wow! You think it's that? You think it's that far off from a Pro Tour? Hey, is it that? I mean, some of these one and a half full top eights were given out over the past two weeks. Right. Okay. More than before. Um, what do you think? What do you think an arena mythic championship is? So like one of the seventy odd person events, what what would you call? I, it? I have that much closer to one. Like I have that about one. I think okay. like because it, it's it's hard to qualify, right? That that yeah. that counts as a problem, right? Okay. A world championship, you would say you only beat twenty three other players, but how did you get there? 
Right. Okay. Right? Like, if you get there through so being you, one of the best. So, so you have a player's tour as lower than a, a pro tour, lower than a world championship, and lower than an arena mythic championship. Right. But like, the, the, the tournament this feeds into, right? When they when the three get together, now the players that's tour a final, one for sure. Player tour finals. Is I don't care how few players are in it. Right? That's a, that's a real tournament. Yeah. Play, play store finals is going to be absurd. At least a one. <laughs> might be a 1.3. Right? It might be more. Right. Right? It's an important sense. That, that's going to be in Houston in April. Right. That's the tournament that I don't get to go to. Right? Like that's <laughs> the level above. Right? With the... That's... Which so, is, so the way it works for Hall of Famers is you're invited to go to all the regional pro tours, but you still have to qualify for a pro tour finals. Right. And it definitely feels like I got kicked in the nuts, right? Like, in terms of what I get for my right. historical... But, I mean, what do I really deserve, right? Like, I was a long time ago. There's tons of great players out there. Earn your freaking slot already, right? I don't begrudge the step-down. I just... Right. You know, sometimes you deserve to get kicked in the nuts. Doesn't mean you didn't get kicked in the nuts. Your nuts still hurt. But you deserved it. And so I think that's the position I'm in, right? All like, right. I haven't proven myself... I haven't put in the level of effort these people in the Rivals League or the MPL were putting in. Right. You know, when, when, when Huey was being interviewed and you said, well, I think this gives me a leg up on, on MPL next year, getting, into the M getting back to the MPL next year, because of the way that sounds in your head, I'm like, did Huey not make it? Is Huey in Rivals? And like, no, he's, he's, he's fine. But, right. you know, that Huey might miss. Right. Right? Right. Just yeah, because yeah. he had a year where he didn't break through the same way. Right. Like, that's scary because right. he's... No one's going to say he didn't play great magic last year. Right. It's like, it's like you know, the, the post-game interview for a major sports championship. It's like, okay, so what are you going to do? It's like, well, you know, we're going to celebrate today, and then uh, tomorrow we get back to work on uh, doing this again next year. <laughs> right? You know, yeah. It's like we start the grind. <laughs> yeah. No. So, I mean, you know, super, super cool to see uh, Huey, Huey do well, though. That was, that was very exciting. Yeah, I think the, the big takeaway for me, like, just sort of I, I determined to go in – with my eyes open to sort of see what is this experience? Like, what is this experience to you? What is it really? And the big thing that struck me that I, it struck me that it had struck me before and you keep forgetting, is the waiting. Right, so what did it for me in Richmond, like Richmond was like one of the worst experiences I've had at a major event where I thought, oh, this format's fine on Arena, it'll be fine. And with all of the different waiting between rounds and shuffling and doing physical procedures and how slow everything was. Yeah, the GP, I didn't even play the last two. I just like, I don't want to play Magic anymore today. I, I just can't take it anymore. And like, I didn't aware how cool the mystery drafts were, so I didn't just go in a mystery draft, which I should have done. But um, I just sort of, it occurs to me like, you just don't get to play that much Magic. And so the Magic better be fun. As opposed to an arena where it's like, if you play Magic, like you're constantly playing Magic. So even if the magic isn't up to magic's what magic can be when it's great, right? Like it was this weekend, it's kind of okay sometimes, or at least through some amount of time. Whereas this weekend, I had amazing magic experiences most of the time, right? I mean, there's always a few. There was a few rounds where like players didn't do things and like it wasn't particularly interesting. But for the most part, throughout the day that I played, I went four and four, and then throughout the mystery booster drafts that I did on the second day that I couldn't stay for the GP to finish it, so I didn't start it. They were great magic. I had fun. My opponents had fun. It was a positive experience. Nobody was a dick. It was great. But what stands out when I just take the perspective is the amount of time between, like, deciding to, you know, when I leave for this airport 
and then I come back home, and then how many of those hours were spent with an opponent? Sure. Right? And how many of those hours were spent making sure you were in the right location, mentally in the right place, for when the opponent was ready for you? Like, how much time was spent, like, hurry up and waiting? Right. Versus how much time was spent playing? And if I could just have those playing moments, right, this would be an experience that I would move heaven and earth to make time for with no money on the line. It would be huh. one of the best things. It's, it's like, so if you, if you could just do a thing where it's like, okay, um, we're going to put the you know, consensus thousand best players into a special siloed version of Arena and you're just going to grind Mythic against each other... Well, I mean, just grinding Mythic turn gets old fast. Well, I'm just saying, but you're, you're just playing it. But I also like, Arena is not the same level of Magic because they're not there. Sure. You, right? like, you, want, the, you, you want the social aspect. I, what I'm saying is, you tell me there's a weekend where I can play in this event, but with, like, the timing of my choice. Right. Where, like, there's a room, and, like, without knowing who else is about to be in the queue... You just say, I'm ready for my next round, and they find you an opponent, and you play. And then you take as much time as you want to break, you know, grab a glass of water, mentally recover, because you don't actually want to play the rounds right in a row, like, yeah. especially at my age. And then you play again, and then you just can do that as many times, you know, do that for as many times as practical, and then you get a prize based on how well you did, and maybe you make top eight, or maybe you don't, or whatever, but that's not even the important thing. You know, and you play, you have the opportunity to play a wide variety of events. That's that sounds amazing, right? Like, I've I've gone to tour, I mean, I've gone to places just to do that. Right? I, I, the World War Gaming Championships are a wonderful con. Right. You're trying to win a plaque. Well, maybe we'll do it. So we're we're gonna we're gonna host a mock vitational at uh, Game Storia in Queens. Yeah. Um, Wait, what what time do, do it's gonna have, be? Do it's gonna date? be. Are we gonna figure out. I'll, I'll I'll post the date in the notes. I'm gonna say it's it's the weekend of March first, I believe. Um, probably the Sunday. Uh, but I got to double check that. Right, we set our own rules. But we yes, but it's going to be um, degenerate standard. Correct. So we want to see what would happen if the four of rule is just removed from yeah. standard. You can anything goes. You still can only play seven dwarves because that's on the card. Yes. Um, but and banned cards are still banned. Correct. Um, but you can, you know, uh, what is it? You know, you want to play twenty mountains and forty shocks. Will that win? That won't win. <laughs> I'll well, tell you, you right now. So um, we're going to have that event, but maybe we can do it the way you just described. Maybe it's just like, okay, everybody has to play this many matches. Just go play someone. Yeah, yeah. as long as people are... Like if, you play, if like, if you play like a triple elimination tournament, right? Just pair people. Right. Or pair people with the number of losses. Yeah. And who cares if they have a different number of wins? Yeah. No one's conceding. Yeah. Right? And it just is a much, a much better experience. Because, like, it's not just the waiting. It's the waiting with this fear of missing your round. Right. Of not getting there. Oh, your yeah, constant yeah. level of paranoia during that time. Right? Like, I am perfectly happy after the tournament to just grab dinner with these people and hang out or play casual magic. It's, it's good times. But if you have to constantly worry that at a time you, at some point in time, you better be paying very close attention at that moment or you're screwed. That really takes you out of it. Right. So if you could solve those problems from a perspective of just enjoying yourself, right, it would be so much better. And 
But like Pioneer, like there was a great job of just like I played a really fun deck. I had some really fun matches. Look at that mystery booster drop for a minute, just to like point out if you are at one of these Magic Fests and you have a chance to mystery booster draft, but you don't have like an important tournament to be playing right now, you do it. Well, you like that? I mean, I, I've done it. I love it. Yeah, I just want to make it clear to everybody listening. Like, this is an amazingly fun draft format, and the expected value is through the roof. Yeah, it's it's very similar in experience to doing something between a cube and a chaos draft. It's like some kind of hybrid. There's like, a, I think, a thousand cards in the base set. And it somehow feels like you can do concrete things and they come together and all the archetypes are supported. Yeah. And it feels, yeah, it feels like it's cube-like with without that thing in cube where people are just doing ridiculous. Right, where, where, where there's these, there are these set permutations of cards that accomplish things and you're just filling in your checklist for that. Right, it's like cube, but you just... But also, it's like you have to just have some filler in your deck. Like, right. it's not... You're not going to play... Like, if you play a norm, most people's cubes, you're often just playing 16 to 20, like, crazy good what cards. What was the most uh, the most playtest cards you had in any of your decks? I think three, something like that, two or three. It, not that many. I, I was... One of the things that made me sad was that I had playtest cards I didn't get to play. Yeah. That, like, I had in my deck that didn't show up. Bear of Seth's Mechanic... Was one that I was building my deck just to, like largely to abuse, and I just I won I I I won without getting to ever draw it. That's um, it has vigilance, and uh, it gets to you get another combat step in which only things with the mechanic that let them attack twice can attack twice, and so I just had so many different ways to abuse that, including the uh, the artifact that gives everyone on your team exalted. Oh, effectively, right? Like it's not worded that way. It's just, what yeah. if you attack only get plus one plus one for other attacker. Yeah, it's like yeah, you know, sigil of the yeah. Just all your other. You should just read all your other creatures having exalted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, just like because that's like a better. It's not true because then if someone else attacks, doesn't really work. But like it's the idea of just so then like I get to attack for like eight and then twelve or something, right? Because like, the deck's full of stuff and like I had a bunch of different equipment and enchantments to put on stuff and it was like let's just have some fun and like. I had great games, but like, there's so many other things I could do. I was the Monarch! Nice. Three games out of four. The Monarch's really good. Good to be the Monarch. Yeah, it really I is. I don't know if you heard. Um, yeah, I did, I did one draft where we did uh, with some folks on the coverage team in Richmond, right? And I, I was just like, I am going to... So my, rule, my stipulation draft was, I'm just going to take a playtest card. If there is one. If there is one, right? Right. And, you know, and obviously there's some incentive to do that but beyond that it was just like i just want to see what and i just played as many as them as many of them as i could i ended up having a white blue deck and i played uh, i actually played the time walk card which was just super fun to do they're going a lot of them are going remarkably late yeah given how rare they are yeah yeah right oh yeah and and it's a unique opportunity to get hold of them and people are just like no by by the way martin yuza pointed out on twitter one of the playtest cards is just a card in thoros beyond death it's enchantment size. It's called enchantmentize. Yeah. And it's you and three enchant target permanent. It just becomes an enchantment. And that's actually just a card. So anyway, um, cool. Yeah, yeah. I think if you get a chance to do one of those, you should you should definitely do them and definitely do them at an event where you get to play with the playtest cards because 
they are. It's so much better to play Tales of Cards, they're, but they're it's just, a. They're just bizarre. It's still a great for. It would be a great if you just have the mystery booster distribution and you just like make mystery boosters. I would draft that some night. That, like, and that's going to happen too. Those are going to be available in stores without the play. But without the play test cards, but the play play test cards are really um, super fun. And if you open up, uh, there's a couple cool ones. If, you know, like you get to make a creature your commander in one of them, and which is super weird and cool and. You get, you get to do all sorts of, like, bizarre stuff that, you know, you sometimes when you're kind of just being a spiky magic player, aspects that you might take for granted sometimes. So it, it, it was, yeah, it is a super fun format. It's great to just, like, be asking questions about the rules during the draft and, like, not feel bad about it at all. It's <laughs> like, Judge, did this still count towards my 40-card limit if it begins the game in the graveyard? Like, uh... Yeah, I was, <laughs> I, I was texting with Mike over the weekend and I asked how you were doing. And he's like, I, I haven't seen him. He went to go do mystery drafts. And I was sad that that meant you had made day two. Yeah. But I was also super happy because I know how much you were going to enjoy that. Right. And that like... I made the right choice. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. So uh, that was that was super cool. All right, so that's it for this episode of Top 8 Magic. I will try to follow up with Mike at some point this week as well. Find out a little bit about his adventures and misadventures as the case may be. And uh, thanks for listening. This has been Brian David Marshall, Sweet Boschowitz for Top 8 Magic. <laughs>